Hi, everybody. Welcome to the September 29th, 2017 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on Denver District Attorney Beth McCann calling for an investigation into the death of former inmate Marvin Booker. McCann will have the grand jury investigate the accusations of evidence tampering and obstruction of justice involved in the 2010 downtown Denver Detention Center death. Patty Calhoun from Westward. Uh, this sounds like big news. I'm not sure if... Beth McCann made this officially a campaign promise when she ran for DA, but she did talk about a whole different look at cases like this. Uh, is this a big deal? It's a very big deal and a surprise, I think, that Beth McCann did it. We have to keep focused on the fact that it's not really the circumstances of the death, but what happened to the evidence afterwards that the grand jury will be looking into. And this is not the first case where there have been accusations of disappearing evidence from the various departments of safety. So I think it'll be the first of maybe a couple investigations. Mike Krause from the Independence Institute, does this send a new signal to the safety department of Denver? Well, it depends on what happens with the grand jury, obviously. I mean, this could be just be a way to close the books on this very long-running uh, case, finally, if the grand jury comes up uh, empty and Beth McCann can basically close this file. Uh, but yes, uh, if, it, if it turns out that, uh, that they proceed forward with prosecutions based on process and transparency and evidence, I think that's a, a huge shot across the bow because that's really where, I mean, look, there's lots of incidents that take place within jails, let's face it, they're, they're, uh, uh, they're, uh, and the Denver jail has a long history of some uh, fairly significant dysfunction. It's the process afterwards where the public really uh, gets a view of what's actually going on, and that becomes really important. So if it turns out that the grand jury finds wrongdoing within the process uh, and the transparency within the process, then, yeah, I think that's a very big deal um, uh, moving forward and a strong message. Eric Sonderman, political analyst, we have often talked around this table about the optics of a situation. What are the optics for the city here? Because you have a DA making a pretty bold claim, but it's... A talking about how the city has handled its business in this particular arrest. Well, I think the optics are positive, and at some level, I don't care that much about the optics in this situation. I care about some degree of justice. And uh, kudos to Beth McCann. It, this would have been easily to, easy to, for her to say, that's past tense, I'll deal with things that arise under my tenure. She chose not to take that course. Good for her. You and I, Dominic, uh, moderated a debate between her and Helen Morgan, her opponent in the general election. They were both fairly far out of point, but particularly Beth McCann on, on, on this issue of holding police officers accountable. I think there's a message not only to the sheriffs and the other people who run the jail, but there's a message here to Mitch Morrissey, her predecessor as well, and that message is, excuse the pun, but there's a new sheriff in town. Indeed. Penfield Tate, attorney of Tech Rock, also a longtime state lawmaker. Penn, you are a, our esteemed lawyer at the table today. What does all this mean for folks seeing a, a grand jury investigation, obstruction of justice, a lot of big terms here? What do you think this means? 
I think it means several things. For, for Beth McCann, it shows consistency in action. She was the only candidate who ran who in the past had prosecuted police officers for misconduct. So no one should see this as a big surprise. Beth had done that before. Secondly, everybody's been disturbed about all these massive settlement awards the city of Denver's been paying over the years um, for incidents that, quite frankly, are indefensible. And now you have a DA who's saying, okay, uh, my predecessor passed on filing criminal charges on the death itself. But the bigger concern is, you know, part of why that decision was made was based on the evidence presented. And now there's credible reason to believe that the evidence was tampered with. And in specific, that the sheriff's department concealed information. And essentially, they turned in the wrong taser to be evaluated to determine what was wrong and what killed this man. So um, it, it is signaling that this is a new day, this is a new time, it's a new deal. Um, she's going to have a, a different level of accountability for all of the Department of Safety, which the community has been crying out uh, for loudly over the past several years. And I agree with Eric. It doesn't matter what the optics are or how this administration feels about it. This is her job, and I'm glad to see that she's taking it seriously because I think for decades most of our DAs just haven't taken seriously officer-involved shootings or safety-involved related deaths. And it's important that this one uh, begin a new wave. The decision to kneel during the national anthem by 32 Denver Bronco players last weekend, joining over 200 other players across the country, triggered a variety of reactions throughout Colorado. Broncos Vice President John Elway announced this week that the team will be standing in unity this weekend. Patty, I got to say, last weekend was just surreal, whether it was just the comments that kicked off everything to the reaction we saw across the country, but specifically here in Denver. What did you make of the reaction to what happened, and now that we've heard from the Broncos that all the team will be standing in unity this upcoming next game? Well, first of all, I think it was inappropriate for you to call us sons of bitches before we started the show just because we all wanted to kneel in solidarity. The first lesson is, if you are the president of the United States, you do not tweet calling people sons of bitches for practicing their First Amendment rights. And let's remember, this is not anti-patriotic kneeling. These are people, the kneeling started because of the concern over social injustice in this country, per pervasive racism, that's where the kneeling started. It wasn't because people don't support the troops overseas. It wasn't because people don't want to sing the Star Spangled Banner. It wasn't an unpatriotic. There's actually nothing more patriotic than going with your First Amendment rights. Um, I thought, the, I would hope there wasn't a lot of arm twisting by the Broncos in their decision to everyone will stand in solidarity and hug and everything else they're going to be doing. I think a, a team manager, a team owner can ask their employees to do things that maybe the President of the United States shouldn't. But I also think John Elway, when he said he, he doesn't want to politi politicize the Broncos, would have had carried a lot more weight if he hadn't already been sending out letters on behalf of Republican candidates and Neil Gorsuch on Bronco stationery. So I truly hope all the players feel they have had, they have had their say, they are still getting their say. And if they stand in solidarity this weekend, fine. But the lesson is for Donald Trump in the response across the country. Mike, i got to be honest, this feels like an enormous distraction out of all the different things we can be thinking about as a country, even locally here in Denver, uh, to be talking about this. And especially distracting, I think, what Patty said about the issue where the kneeling started. It was, like she said, it was about flags or troops. It was about that. That seemed to get buried in, in the uh, avalanche of everything else. Uh, what did you make of what happened and of what we're likely to see this weekend? 
Well, first, it, it, it appears that, that Trump is either just a, a, a bumbling uh, president or a, a brilliant strategist because he appears to be able to change the news cycle at his will uh, through tweeting. And it actually reflects fairly poorly on uh, on the rest of the country that apparently falls for it time and time again, uh, that he could literally uh, swing a, a news cycle in whatever direction he wants to. And who knows what, uh, what he might have been trying to swing it away from uh, in this particular case. It's an interesting look at uh, the freedom of expression because, look, the NFL players, and the degree, by the way, to which you are offended by this or not offended, really has a lot to do with, A, your politics, because remember, some of the same people who were mightily offended and outraged that Tim Tebow expressed uh, his, his, uh, his faith on the field through expression uh, were defending the NFL players kneeling for the anthem. Um, NFL football players uh, have a right of free expression. Um, however, uh, fans also have a right of free expression, and what you saw was players expressed themselves, a lot of fans expressed themselves, and the one thing the NFL players do not have a right to is a, either a job uh, or to contravene the, the, the desires of their employers within their employment contracts. So they, the Broncos have every, uh, uh, the Broncos can certainly tell their players that they must stand for the national anthem, and, and if they don't like that, then they don't have to be professional football players. Let's keep some, but there's a bigger picture here. A football player has, a professional football player has no power over me or anyone at this table or anyone else. So how they express themselves, your degree of outrage over this is really decided by the degree that you don't have any control over your emotions. And this is what being offended is all about, right? The President of the United States, on the other hand, actually has power over people. He actually has power. And the First Amendment does not apply to the Broncos. The First Amendment actually applies to Donald Trump and the United States government. It is there to restrain them. And so for a sitting president to essentially demand that a private employer fire private citizens because he doesn't like the way they express himself is probably the most troubling aspect of this whole thing. Uh, Eric, um, we've seen a variety of teams handle this uh, in a whole variety of ways. Uh, how the Dallas Cowboys uh, did it, how the Green Bay Packers did it just uh, last night. How did you think about what, how, Dem how the Denver Broncos are handling this? I think the Broncos are, like a lot of teams, let last weekend be this eruption of emotion and First Amendment right and, and political statements, and they now want to get back to business and somehow put this issue in the past. Let's not forget the NFL is facing a whole lot of challenges, and this is just one on the list in terms of CTE, what football, and particularly football at that level, does to its participants' brains. Uh, and and, and NFL audiences were declining before this came up as an issue, and let's not lose sight of that. So I think, you know, it's hard to imagine life without football as the king of sports, but, you know, boxing used to be the king of sports as well. And, and these things um, go through go through cycles. Mike made reference to, or I think your question to Mike made reference to, this is a distraction. And I look at Donald Trump as the king of distractions. He is a master at distraction, and that's what this was. Uh, that said, he continues to throw this bait out there, 
And I think the opposition, the resistance, if you will, to Donald Trump has to be a heck of a lot more discerning and discriminatory than they are right now in terms of which bait they take. And I am not convinced that this was the bait they wanted to take and fight on. I actually think I'll be curious when we see polling numbers right now. We're really just seeing rating numbers for the NFL, and they certainly fell off last weekend. But uh, I'm not so sure that Donald Trump as wrong and as crazy and as reprehensible as he is, is not closer to public opinion on this than all of those fans wearing Colin Kaepernick jerseys, if you will, uh, if you will, are. Who knew? I mean, we used to tune into games, you know, to watch the last two minutes, to watch John Elway comebacks or whatever. And now the most exciting part of the game is the national anthem. And go figure. Penn, I. I guess I would I'd be very curious to find out how Colin Kaepernick feels about this because he does a protest last year. Everything blows up, and now he doesn't have a job. And there's a lot of discussions before, at least before two weeks ago, of that if he's, is he going to get hired in the NFL. We're seeing players with hardly any experience getting hired before he does. Then this comes up, and over 200 players make a, a, a similar statement. Now, whether just for that week or not, you have a, a renewed look at the issue that Colin Kaepernick was trying to raise, but now that's kind of getting swept under because of the immense reaction. Uh, how do you look at what we've seen these last 10 days? You know, uh, on several levels. And, and Colin Kaepernick, I suspect, is probably pleased that the conversation is, is taking place because he's clearly been scapegoated for exercising his constitutional right uh, to express himself. And initially, remember, he didn't do it in an, in an open and confrontational way. It was something he sort of did quietly at, at the bench. When Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf was here as a basketball player, he used to just bow his head and pray at, at the playing of the national anthem also. No one cared until someone wrote a story about it. Then it generated all of this outrage. You know, think about this. The, the, the kneeling we've seen the last week at these NFL games, they've been a reaction to the president's race baiting, not in solidarity necessarily with Kaepernick. A number of players got so offended and so outraged that they reacted. And you've got a president using inappropriate language in public, calling predominantly African-American athletes SOBs for expressing their opinion. But the Nazis and the Klan's people in, in Charlottesville are some very fine people. Uh, there is a disconnect, and clearly we need to still have a conversation about race in this country, but I would submit the way the, the president's putting it front and center is problematic. Uh, then the final thing, and I agree with Mike's point also about the president who has power shouldn't be telling employers to fire private citizens because he doesn't like the way they think. You know, we can talk about First Amendment rights, but, you know, when you go all the way back to the preamble of the Declaration of Independence, it says, you know, that um, government derives its power from the consent of the governed and that whenever any form of government becomes destructive to these, these ends, it is the right of the people to alter and abolish it. Protest is inherent in our founding. Remember, it was a revolution not negotiations that formed America. So we have revolution and conflict and speaking out against oppression as part of our genetic, our national DNA. And, and for one person to try to say, well, no, now that I'm in charge, that all goes away because everybody has to do what I say um, is troubling. 
Former Congressman Tom Tancredo, an illustrious veteran of this very table, has been engaged in a war of words with Congressman Mike Kaufman. The war boiled over this week with Kaufman challenging Tancredo to join him in a primary for the 6th Congressional District. Tancredo responded by challenging Kaufman to join him in the GOP gubernatorial primary. Kaufman said if Tancredo doesn't run against him, he expects one of Tancredo's, quote, white supremacist friends to do so. Mike, I got to tell you, reading these stories made me feel like I was watching the Real Housewives of Colorado GOP County because you know, you know, one is going to one up the other, back and forth. And these are two heavy hitters when it comes to the Colorado Republicans, Mike Kaufman and Tom Tancredo. Uh, you know Tom very well, as everyone around the table does. You also know Mike Kaufman. What did you make of the kerfuffle we saw, and is it going to last for more than what just this week? I, I have no idea if it's going to last for very long. It's it's. It's really, look, have you, have you met Republicans? I mean, they, they have their <laughs> fights out in public. Uh, primary fights are, are get, get brutal and bloody. In fact, there's still bad blood going all the way back to uh, uh, a, a decade uh, to gubernatorial um, uh, uh, primaries. And then, of course, we, you know, uh, with Dan Mays. Uh, so Republicans, and a lot of this has to do with the fact that, look, uh, the, by, by the way, Tom's a very strong personality and, and uh, an independent guy. And uh, whether or not he's doing this as part of, you know, the Tom Tancredo show, or if he has some strategy behind it, who knows? This is just look at the different the difference between the parties here in Colorado. That that Democrats don't do this. The Democrats run a pretty tight ship in this state, uh, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that they have um, a very uh, uh, they have uh, narrower streams of funding. I guess is the best way to put it. So uh, a few people can pull a lot more strings. The GOP is full of free agents uh, and is a uh, decentralized system. And so, yes, you end up with uh, interesting characters out there doing their thing, uh, and that just doesn't happen on their side. This is just really an example and, and, uh, of that the, the, the Republicans in Colorado just tend to uh, let their uh, air their dirty laundry in public while uh, Democrats are much better at con con constraining it uh, and keeping it quiet. And that's just, look... Um, uh, is it damaging? Um, probably in some way it's, it's damaging. Uh, Tom Tancredo could not win Mike Kaufman's seat as it exists today. Uh, Mike has, it, uh, has worked very hard to nail down a seat that he should, frankly, have a, a lot tougher time winning on a regular basis. Um, so anyway, uh, Republican uh, dysfunction spilling out into the public sphere. What can you say? Eric, I guess the question goes to you, what can you say? We didn't have time to even get to some of the, the juicier parts is the fact that uh, Tom Tancredo met with Steve Bannon this week to say, hey, should I run for governor? And that that quote, as he said, yeah, the topic came up. So here we are. I mean, this is, this is not just, you know, Tancredo and Kaufman uh, arguing in public. This is uh, a far bigger deal. Um, what do you think? Mike used the phrase Republican dysfunction. I think when the you know, definitive historical book on this decade is written, that could be the title. Uh, that said, Mike, I think, gives too much credit for Democrats for sometimes having their act together. Yes, Democrats in Colorado have been more disciplined over the last decade or more, but we're about to see a five-way primary, a five-way Democratic primary for governor. Trust me, there will be plenty of dirty laundry aired uh, on that side of the divide as well. Tom Tancredo, we've talked about it before around this show. Tom is desperately trying to stay relevant in his elderly years, and it is not always pretty to watch. I will make, we tend to shy away from predictions, and we're often wrong, but I'll make one prediction right now, and I won't be wrong on this. Tom Tancredo will not be the next governor of Colorado.
It is not going to happen. He, yes, as an independent in that whole Dan Mays mess, got 35-ish percent of the vote. Then he lost four years later a primary to Bob Beaupre, who was sort of a dated product himself within the Republican Party, but still was able to defeat Tancredo in a primary. Even Jared Polis, who some people think might be the weakest of the Democratic candidates, the strongest in the primary, but potentially the weakest in a general election, if it came to that, Jared Polis would beat Tom Tancredo like a drum. I do not see Tom even getting this nomination, much less winning the election. He would be the Republicans' worst nightmare. Sometimes you just need to let one of these cycles pass and not be at the center of it. And Tom is just constitutionally unable to, to step away from the microphone. Pat, I almost felt sorry for Walker Stapleton this week. I mean, he actually officially joined in the race, and we had talked about it for months, and he finally makes the announcement, and no one even knew it happened because of all this going on. Your thoughts? Well, no one's likely to ever know that Walker Stapleton ran at the race this, rate this is going anyway, <laughs> so um, his announcement may be getting the same reaction that his candidacy does. Um, uh, you know, uh, uh, Eric's right. Uh, uh, Tom is looking to stay relevant, but the reality is Tom's been irrelevant for almost 20 years and is never going to be relevant again. Um, the, the issue is really, you talk about rising to the bait. I don't know why Mike Kaufman is doing this, except perhaps to distance himself from Trump and the Breitbart extremist arm of his party to try to say, hey, I'm moderate Mike here, you know, and I'm in a district that's becoming more diverse um, geographically and politically and socioeconomically and racially, um, that, that I'm not one of these, you know, ranting bigots. I actually uh, believe in a pluralistic and a, and a, and a very diverse America, uh, and I'm reasonable, so keep sending me to Congress. Uh, and Tancredo has given him the opportunity to do that. But but Eric's right. Tom's not going to run for governor because no one's going to give him money to, to lose for a third time. If moderate Mike catches on, I hope you at least get the credit from Congressman Kaufman. That, that's, that's pretty catchy. Yeah, how to get some royalties or something. <laughs> uh, Patty, you know Tom extremely well. Is he in it to win it or is he in it to force some fun? Well, I have to say he has not confided in me as he might have confided in Steve Bannon. But just the visual of Steve Bannon coming to town fresh on the victory with more. And, like, Tancredo, the next logical person. I would argue about the relevancy because all you have to look at is who won the presidency largely on the build the wall argument. I mean, Tancredo has been pounding that drum for a long time, and clearly there are plenty of people who still believe in it. I don't think he's really out to run for governor this time. I think he is just out to cause trouble. And you know what? He's extremely good at it. He gets people stirred up. And if he can stir up the Republican Party into maybe getting a little more sensible about who they run and how they run, I mean, nothing beats Walker Stapleton's big fundraising secrecy and then just kind of, he could have been doing it at a grocery store along with Perlmutter. I mean, for the amount of attention those two who early on looked like the front runners got, it's, it's pretty interesting. But I do not think Tancredo will be the next governor or even the next Republican gubernatorial candidate, but he'll stir things up in the meantime. He was there indeed. Let's get to our favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. And as always, Ms. Calhoun, please start us off. Even as we were filming last Friday, Denver Public Schools was releasing the result of its investigation into the amazing cheerleading scandal. And my apologies to Penn, because I have learned he can do the splits since then. But you don't, on a Friday afternoon, you do not release a report 
Well, you do if you don't want any attention. And the fact that it got as little attention as it did is pretty interesting. It also just shows how incredibly dysfunctional East High was and the East High officials were in dealing with the splits controversy. You have a parent complain. You see things like that. You suddenly discover you didn't vet your cheerleading coach. You deal with it fast. Mike. Uh, I just have to go ahead and say, uh, a sitting president, regardless of who that president in, uh, is, who uh, who was willing to um, uh, use his bully pulpit to demand private citizens be punished for expressing themselves politically. Eric. Well, first of all, I totally agree with Patty about uh, East High School and, and their handling of it. John Youngquist, who's a new principal, is a class act, and I think they traded up here. My disgrace would be the voters of the Alabama Republican Party. I mean, we were talking a minute ago about Republican dysfunction. This is the, you know, the new poster child for Republican dysfunction. If Roy Moore is the answer to what ails Washington, what ails the U.S. Senate, God forbid what the question is. Penn. First, Patty, the splits was years gone by, oh, wow. so I didn't say that was a current phenomenon. <laughs> um, the disgrace, I think, is on a national level and locally, the air of intolerance we're all showing towards one another. Okay. We're all better than this, and we can all do better than this, and we shouldn't rise to the bait when a president or a congressperson or some candidate for office says something that most of us find offensive. I mean, you ought to comment and move on. Um, we're losing the ability for civil discourse in this country, and that's why we can't govern anymore. That's part of the problem in Congress, and it's disturbing. Time to say something nice about somebody. Patty? Uh, the more things change, the more they stay the same. We started out talking about a grand jury. Twenty-five years ago, Colorado's first ever special grand jury investigated Rocky Flats. And those grand jurors wanted to indict eight individuals for environmental crimes. Instead, they were told to pack up, go home. The government cut a deal with Rockwell International, and no one was ever held accountable. And now we are looking at Rocky Flats opening as a wildlife uh, refuge next year. There's a protest tomorrow, Saturday, outside the Capitol. Go hear Wes McKinley, the grand jury foreman, who has been trying to tell his story for 25 years. Mike. Uh, Planet Pet, which is the rescue arm of Planned Pethood Vet Clinic in Wheat Ridge, who will be holding their uh, Come Fall in Love Adopt-a-thon for, uh, for mutts uh, on uh, Sunday the 1st out in Wheat Ridge at, uh, across from the Walmart and Lakeside. Uh, so come if you need to, if you need to uh, adopt a dog or if you want to get revenge on someone by giving them a living thing as a gift, uh, come, come adopt a mutt. <laughs> Here, only just to give it a good home, but I, I'm with you 100%. Eric. I'll be really quick, but it's a twofer. The Colorado Rockies, we're in the last weekend of the regular season. They have a two-game lead. Um, it's been a, a great run for them. And uh, for our Jewish audience, they probably might, might not be tuned in tonight, but uh, this is the start of the holiest day of the, of the, of the Jewish year. And uh, have a good Yom Kippur. Penn. Colorado Criminal Justice Reform Coalition held its ninth annual Voices of Justice um, reception this weekend. We all owe them a debt of gratitude. They're the organization that have been pushing sentencing reform, parole reform, um, have helped actually close prisons in the state of Colorado, and, and all of this, um, you know, reaction uh, that has really adversely impacted a number of families and individuals in our state. Kudos to them. 
That is all the time we have tonight. Thanks for tuning in. As always, be sure to check out our podcast on iTunes and Google Play and for our CIO postgame segment on Twitter and Facebook. And a special announcement, later in October, October 27th, you will see Colorado Inside Out 25 Years, a special documentary we put together all about the show. You will not want to miss it. Make sure to put it on your calendar the 27th at 7 p.m. For everyone here at Colorado Public Television, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thanks for watching. Good night. Thank you.